will either just not sing that part and come in right here. Okay, yeah, it's 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 readable. Yeah, so I don't want to be flat. So that's don't you think? And then I can do Vern, can you see that? Those red letters? You can't see it? You can see the white ones though? Just not the red ones. I don't know if you can change the red letters or not. Can you fold them? Almost, yeah. Turn the lights down a little. You can. These lights are down. Okay, so did we get it, get it figured out? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I just Maybe. didn't sing parts on the bridge that time, and we only did it once. But yes, I may not come in on that thank you, Jesus, for the... I may just come on blood applied, then I have to do a part. Like that part is, yeah. We need it all. I mean, I'll, ch- I'll, I just don't want to come in flat. Right, right. So, so you're coming from a real high part now. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, so let's just uh, run that. You can see that. You see that now? Yeah, that's it. That's good. Okay, so um, just the vocals again. Last line of the bridge going into the chorus. So this is big. Two, three. We are ransomed by our Father through the blood. The blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. I don't know why I'm struggling right there, but I am. It's a weird transition. Parts, you're going parts now. Yeah, like I'm just. Going back and, and I know I'm just doing the same note from thank you to four, but it, I don't know. It just, it's, my brain's not. We'll see what happens. No, but I'll get blood applied in. <laughs> okay, so try to get thank you, Jesus. Okay, yeah, well. I got thank you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's the for the that I'm. Okay, yeah, blood applied is. Okay. Yeah, take, so one more time. Uh, we are ransomed to. Three, four, we are ransomed by our Father through the blood, the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. That's it. So we're all singing verse three. Is that what just is that what happened? Yeah. What we did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Alto. Yeah. On on the verse. Oh, verse three. I was just singing his our melody or whatever.
Amen. You can have a seat, and uh, however you prefer, uh, you can be turning your Bibles or Bible apps to the book of Matthew. That's where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 5. So if you do not have a uh, Bible app on your phone, I want to encourage you, we recommend version, And uh, with it, you can have the Word of God at your fingertips. You can find plans that will help it make sense, and you can even follow along with our screens while you're here. So uh, download version. Uh, it is uh, recommended. Uh, so Matthew 5, Matthew 5 records what is likely a mountaintop experience, both physically and spiritually, for the once tax collector and uh, now author, Is that better? Uh, Chapter 5, it begins to record Jesus' most famous sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And so to set the stage, back in chapter 4, Jesus began his ministry. And uh, you may notice in your Bible some red letters in a conversation that Jesus had earlier in in chapter 4. But that was with Satan. And so his first words to an earthly audience are found in Matthew 4, verse 17. And this is what he said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And from that time forward, Jesus began to help people see what this kingdom of heaven really looks like. What citizens of this kingdom 
really look like. And he started with the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in verses 1 through 11 are the Beatitudes. Maybe you are familiar with them. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time there. But Jesus begins to describe what God's people look like. Citizens of this heavenly kingdom, this is what they look like. And he starts by using a word we translate as blessed. And it's kind of a difficult word to translate, but it is the first blank on your outline. Um, It it actually means well-off, fortunate, or happy. But I think a a good way for us to describe it is a God-given joy. Blessed is a God-given joy. It's an inner peace and a sense of well-being that, that things are good, that life is just good. And so Jesus is saying, you're going to have this inner peace, this God-given joy when, and then he lists nine different things. Uh, in our minds today, we can probably come up with a list of what he, we think Uh, Jesus should say. I mean, uh, when things are going my way, then I'm good. When all the lights turn green, then I'm good. Uh, When the bank account continues to grow, when relationships are, are smooth, when we have a lot of friends and a lot of stuff, when we're healthy and our family is all good, then we'll have this inner sense of well-being from God, right? Well, not according to Jesus. And so if you are able, uh, please stand out of respect for the word of God as we start in Matthew 5, verse 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So let us not forget, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then he started describing what the people of that kingdom look like, and as we go through this passage, we're just going to kind of keep a a running list here. So rather than rich and famous and served and popular, Jesus said, no, this kingdom, which eventually we find out is his kingdom, is made up of those who are poor, meek, meek is a word that means uh, patient restraint, somebody who has patient restraint. Uh, my kingdom is made up of those who are hungry and, and merciful to the pure, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. So we'll just keep this running list going, and we're going to come back to it in just a little bit. Up to this point, everyone listening probably would have been a little bit put off 
at least a little bit by what Jesus is saying, kind of like our natural response to what we were hearing. But then he continues, look at verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that may not mean so much to us, but it would have been most shocking to all the original hearers because in this culture... The scribes and the Pharisees were as righteous as they come. Every Pharisee had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized, which which meant they could read and they could write, and that already elevates them in their society. The first five books of, of the Bible, they contain 613 laws concerning rituals and ordinances and beliefs and behavior on being righteous. And so they knew every one of them, and everyone thought that they kept them. And not only that, they added nearly 500 more to the list so as to be completely righteous. And they enforced everyone else to these rules. So in this culture, the scribes and Pharisees were the standard for righteousness. And now Jesus is telling his listeners, if you want to be a part of God's heavenly kingdom, you're going to have to be better than them. Jesus is just continually raising the bar on what it takes to be a part of this new kingdom. As his message continues, Jesus presents six tests of thought and behavior to give us further qualifications of what entrance into the kingdom of heaven really takes. You'll see them listed on your outline. The first one is the murder test. The murder test. And I realize that's a terrible blank for an outline, but but just bear with me. Uh, Most people, when we hear the murder test, we think, okay, I can pass this one because I've never murdered anybody. But let's pick it up in verse 21, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said this, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, raka, that is a a word of contempt, that means uh, you empty-headed, senseless, stupid person. So in the Jewish culture, Using it could have gotten you a day in court. So anybody who uses that word or any words like it shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Make it a little more sense. Uh, Look at this in the message paraphrase. Verses 21 and 22. You're, You're familiar with the commandment of the ancients. Do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who so much as is angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. So, we get the idea. Uh, We can't allow hatred to simmer in our heart. Whatever it takes to be reconciled, we have to do it with anyone that might sow that seed of of hatred. And so this is what's required of anyone who's entering the kingdom of heaven. You may have never murdered anyone, but have you ever hated somebody? Have you ever had contempt in your heart? Because that's just as ugly. Jesus is raising the bar on what it takes to get into the kingdom. So test one is the murder test. 
Test two is the fidelity test. The fidelity test. Pick it up in verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, again... Most people, when we hear the fidelity test, we think, well, we can pass this one because I've been faithful to my spouse. But Jesus steps it up a notch or two. If you've so much as lusted in your heart over someone, it's just as bad. And, by the way, he's calling citizens of the heavenly kingdom to do some drastic things. Whatever it takes to overcome sin. So far... It's not looking too good for us passing these kingdom entrance exams. Let's look at the third. Maybe we can pass it. It is the marriage test. It's the marriage test. Verse 31. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, this one is difficult for us to discuss because the statistics say that divorce affects 50% of couples. Anyone who has been through one would probably agree. They're not good. There's a lot of pain. There's baggage that comes with them. And you probably wouldn't recommend them for anyone. And, and hear me when I say this. We are certainly not here to judge anyone on these grounds today. Uh, we know that there is grace. There is mercy from the Lord when it comes to this. And at this point, you cannot go back and change what happened in the past. But you can't allow God to examine your heart. And you should confess any sin that has that you have committed that has led to the, these choices. In other, word, in other teachings about divorce, Jesus talks about the hardness of hearts. And so we have to confess. You have to confess any in yours and then move forward in the mercy of Jesus. But it is one of the tests here in Matthew 5 on entering the kingdom of God. And so Jesus just continues to raise the bar on what it takes to enter the heavenly kingdom. And we still have three more tests to go. Maybe we can bat 500. Let's take a look at the fourth. It's the character test. The character test. If you look at verses 33 through 37, they speak of oaths. Taking an oath. And it's referring back to Old Testament teachings against swearing falsely. And so uh, I get the idea that in order to make their point... People would, would say something equivalent to us saying, I swear to God, I will do this. Or, I swear to God, this. Just so whoever they were talking to knew they were serious. But it got to the point that people would use such strong language deceptively for, for personal gain, to take advantage of someone, and so then it meant nothing at all. And so Jesus teaches, uh, don't, don't swear falsely. Actually, don't swear at all. See, the citizens of God's kingdom need to live their lives so their character speaks for itself. Jesus' own half-brother James in, in, in 5.12 in his book says the same thing. You can check it out. 
People in God's kingdom do what they say they'll do. They don't do what they say they won't. Are you with me this morning? we got two more tests. Leads us to number five. The revenge test. The revenge test. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you in the, on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to, to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak too. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And so the old adage, the punishment must fit the crime, Jesus kind of throws out here. Now, again, he's speaking of, of Old Testament guidelines that were given to their judges that said, okay, when this happens, then this is the sentence that you are to hand down. They were designed to limit revenge. Now, I, I don't know about you. Maybe you're like me. I've always kind of been a um, get-even and then some type of person. You know what I'm, you know, do you understand what I'm talking about? Um, kind of like the, the youth pastor um, who, <laughs> he, he shaved off a kid's eyebrow because the kid had messed with his stuff the night before. And I walked into the dorm room and I heard this buzzing in the corner and I go, I went over there and he already had half of his eyebrow off. And I got to be honest. An overwhelming sense of justice warmed my soul. I mean, seriously. <laughs> you know, I mean, the kid was lopsided for months, I'm sure. But, you know, eyebrows are, are one thing. But when you add this desire to get even and then some to a heart that's filled with hatred and vengeance, that's what Jesus is talking about here. He, he is saying the citizens of God's kingdom, they don't act upon those angry and evil urges. How have you done with the tests so far? Test one is the murder test. Test two is the fidelity test. Test three is the marriage test. Test four is the character test. Test five is the revenge test. And I got to be honest, test six is probably the hardest of them all. It's the love test. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of the Father, your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And just so we're clear, the word for love here is the highest form of love. Uh, we're probably familiar with it. It is agape, a love that is not self-seeking, not conditional, a love that gives and expects nothing in return. This is the kind of love Jesus says the citizens of God's heavenly kingdom will exhibit, not just to people that are easy to love, but to their enemies. Uh, I, I wanted to make sure that nothing was lost in translation, so I looked up that word enemy. And it refers to someone who is hated, hateful, hostile, or opposing someone. So it is indeed what we would think of as an enemy. Jesus is calling his people to unconditionally, in the highest form, love those who are hateful, hostile, 
and opposing to them. And church, as, as if the bar couldn't be set any higher for entrance into this kingdom, I see the last verse as the biggest bombshell of all. Notice what he says, verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Just so we're clear, chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus introduced this kingdom of heaven. Then he proceeds to tell us what citizens of that kingdom really look like. And he used that word blessed, and he said it of the poor in spirit, of the meek, of the ones who are hungry for righteousness, who are merciful and pure and peacemakers and persecuted. These citizens, they can't have hatred in their heart for anyone. Not only do they need to stay true to their marriage, but they can't even have a thought of lust or infidelity. These citizens do what they say they'll do. They're not vengeful when someone wrongs them. They love the ones who try to wrong them. And in fact, you just go ahead and be perfect like God the Father is perfect. That word perfect means complete. So just be perfectly complete like God, and then you can be a part of this heavenly kingdom. This was a, could have been a mountaintop experience for Matthew, but it's quickly become a dark valley because I don't know about you, but if this is the standard, then I'm not getting in. But here's the deal. The next blank on your outline, Jesus is contrasting the citizens of two different kingdoms. There are two different kingdoms. It's the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. So we've seen what the kingdom of heaven will look like. We can describe the kingdom of earth as the exact opposite. The kingdom of the earth is the culture that we live in. It's all about me and what I want. Riches, power, fame, service, my way, good health, great relationships, success. And you could add to the list, these are not always bad things, but when they become what we are living for, welcome to the kingdom of earth. The kingdom of earth is is all about me and me giving into and getting whatever I want. And so Jesus came offering a different kingdom, and it is a better kingdom He says to us, you think that you want to be rich, I'm offering something better. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That word poor refers to someone who knows they have a need. Jesus says to us, you think of yourself, you want to think of yourself really highly and let pride have free reign in your life. I'm offering you something better. Blessed are the meek. Someone who has a correct view of themselves, not that we're supposed to go around living a woe-is-me life all the time, but in light of who God is, you submit to his leadership, and you don't allow the weeds of pride to grow in your life. Jesus says to us, you want to be served and always have the upper hand and always be one rung above everyone else. I'm offering something better. Blessed are the ones who hunger to be made right in God's eyes. Blessed are the ones who show mercy and make peace. 
Jesus says to us, you think harboring hatred in your heart for someone is going to really heal you? I'm offering you something better in my kingdom. If you truly want to be healed, you're going to have to let me carry those burdens for you so that your heart isn't so weighed down. Jesus says to us, you think fulfilling the lust in your heart, no matter how you try to decide to fill it, you think that, it's gonna, that temporary fix is going to bring you true satisfaction in your heart? I'm offering something better. Let me help you be faithful, be pure, because it's when you rest in me that you are truly satisfied. Jesus says to us, you think getting out of a current relationship and finding a better one is going to bring all that your heart desires? I'm offering something better. Don't rush into that. Let me, me examine your heart deeply because I am into healing hearts and relationships. Jesus says to us, you think deceiving people into getting what you want will get you to a place that you really want to be. I'm offering something better, a life lived with integrity so that you don't have to worry about covering up one lie after another. Jesus says to us, you think that vengeance will satisfy? I'm offering something better. Let me take care of that. And you can rest in what I do because it will be good and it will be complete and it will be righteous. See, church, all of these things, these standard for gaining access to heaven, they are all found in Jesus. And if you try to gain them on your own, you will not. Even the perfection of God is found in his son Jesus. And he offers to apply his perfection to our imperfection so that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son instead of my wretched filthy sin. See, we cannot pass any of these tests. Only Jesus can. And he offers to pay the entrance exam into the kingdom of heaven for each one of us. You know, I, I figure there are three different types of people in here this morning. Um, those who have never come to a place where they have surrendered to Jesus. There are probably some among us who have made that commitment in the past, but aren't living like it. And then there are, are those of us who are, are truly pursuing the things of God. I was, uh, I was going through some stuff at the house just a couple weeks ago, it, and I found this. Um, it, it's it's my pocket Jesus. I, I actually used it for a uh, for a, a, an illustration almost 15 years ago here. So you may remember it. Uh, he comes complete with uh, with glowing hands and a water jug that, if you turn it upside down, it turns to wine. It's very cool. Pop my pocket Jesus. See, three different types of people. Some of you, uh, you you don't need to, you don't need a pocket Jesus, you need the real thing. And Jesus is more than just some little action figure. He's the Savior of the world, and he offers that salvation to you. Those of you who, who have, have met the real Jesus, but, it, but it since have, have kind of fallen away. See, the, the thing about pocket Jesus, um, 
he, he's kind of cool. I mean, uh, maybe, maybe he's like Jesus. Maybe Jesus' hands really do glow. I mean, I know that, that Jesus could do some really cool things. He turned water into wine. But then when I'm done with pocket Jesus, I can just put him away. And I don't have to worry about him anymore. I don't have to listen to what he says. He's just uh, a nice little figure in my collection. See, some of us need to do away with pocket Jesus and go back to the real Jesus. For those of you who are pursuing the things of God, continue to do it. Because one of these days, this heavenly kingdom that we looked at today, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Which kingdom have you chosen? Kingdom of heaven, where the real Jesus pays your entrance, exam, pays your entrance fee, or the kingdom of earth, where it's the pocket Jesus. And if I want to listen to him, I, w- I will. But if I don't, I'll just put him away. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? We go into a time of invitation.